Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Tell your neighbor this is the place to be. More than ever before, in sitting at the A-list throughout the 15 sessions of teaching, my heart was consoled that what we're teaching is true and accurate. It came from the highest levels of apostolic authority. And um, you can take, you can listen to many, as you listen to this, the sessions, you will agree with me. Many of our people that were there, I think, were sufficiently prepared, even more than others, for hearing the things that they've heard. You were prepared thoroughly in terms of what you've heard us teach here locally, and sufficiently prepared to receive and to simulate the same and more from authentic apostles of God, not just one of them, but in the mouth of two or three witnesses Words were confirmed as true. Amen. And so we've been teaching recently on the flow or the impartation of grace. So just just close your eyes for one second. Father, I pray that as we teach that you would grant revelation and understanding to every mind in the name of the Lord. I pray as you opened the heart of Lydia to receive the things that Paul said. I ask you open our hearts and minds to receive the things that you would desire to say to us today. I ask for the spirit of revelation and understanding to be our portion in great measure. I pray nothing will hinder the reception of the word. Light come even now and shine on the darkened areas of our mind to receive the word of the Lord which is able to save our souls I I speak peace over every anxious thought, every wandering mind. I rest now in the name of the Lord. I harness your thoughts that you would focus on God's word and receive truth that is able to set you free in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been focusing on uh, grace impartation. And we've been, last week, I demonstrated to you the need That every human being has for a spiritual father. I realize that although the scripture doesn't set it forth as an obligation. That the pattern of scripture reveals it as necessary. No person ever comes to greatness without submission to someone that can speak into their lives. And mature them into the ways of God. And this I think was sufficiently demonstrated even at even at the ALS. And I want to go through what we did last week, but uh, I demonstrated the need last week for if you want fullness. Everyone say fullness. Now, yes, you will be blessed to a degree without it, but if you want fullness, if you want your cup to overflow, as John Alley would say, there has of necessity the need to, to submit to somebody that is able to speak the word of God into your life, direct your life, encourage you in Christ, uh, deliver word, rhema, relevant word to you, such that you can be all that God has called you to be and do all that God has called you to do. Okay? I would be the poorer for not having submitted to Pastor Thamo as my father in the Lord. I know that definitively. I'm as rich as I am in spirit now, Because of my relationship to someone that can speak the word of God, direct me, rebuke me when necessary, correct me, guide me in the Lord. Without that dynamic in God, it is difficult to attain maturity in Christ. Hebrews 13, I think verse 17 says, if you can just help me look. Hebrews 13 and verse 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Everyone say your leaders. There are many leaderless people, uh, people without leaders. God has put leaders in his body for a very specific reason. They are absolutely essential and absolutely necessary. 
So just go to Hebrews 13.7, just for one second. Everyone say 13.7. Say 13.17. Two very important seven verses to remember in Hebrews chapter 13. It's 13.7 and 13.17. 13.7 says, remember those who led you. Everyone say led you. So how do people lead you? They, lead, they led you who spoke to you what? They spoke to you the, the word of God to you. And then considering the, the result, or King James says, the end of their conduct, you must imitate their, their faith. All right? Imitate their faith. So there is an imitation that God expects of followers to leaders. Paul said to the Corinthian church and to others, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The imitation of you, of your leader, is to the degree that he imitates Christ. If your leader is a Christ-like man, an accurate representation of Christ, biblically God has set forth that person in your life to imitate, to mimic, is the Greek meaning, or to, to copy. It's not like you become a clone of the person. No, it's not that. All it means is that the principles in God's Word that God expects you to agree to and to live out, God puts someone in your life as a template, a standard, or a pattern, which if you look the way that person conducts their life, this is what the Scripture means, their conduct, consider the outcome or the result. This word result means outcome, the end, or the, the outward working of their conduct, you imitate their faith. So, let me ask you this. When must you imitate them? When they speak to you the word? No. You imitate them when the word spoken becomes the word made flesh in their lives. Yeah? It's not because someone just says, must you do? No. You, the scripture says you, you mark um, the, the lifestyle, the manner, the thinking, the attitudes, the mindsets of your leaders because they, they speak to you the word of God. And you examine their conduct, and then God says, I have put someone in your life as a standard, as, an attempt, as a template that which you can copy and imitate. And in so doing, you come into Christ-likeness. In so doing, you come into Christ-likeness. Now, don't forget, because the Scripture starts, remember. How does the Scripture start? Remember. It means, you know, when, when someone forgets, now you mustn't forget to remember. That's bad, right? When someone forgets, it means that thing or issue meant to be remembered is extracted out of the mind. It's factored out of the thinking, and it's a non-factor or non-issue in the mindset of the person. So um, we celebrate the Lord's table, and Jesus said, every time you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. So Peter would say, uh, things I... 1 Peter 1.12, I think, the things I said to you aforetime, I say to you again, lest you forget that you might be established in the present truth. Everyone say present truth. Be established in the present truth. So remember those who led you and who spoke to you the word of God, considering the result of their conduct, imitate their, their faith. So tell your neighbor, everyone needs a leader. Everyone needs a spiritual father. To whom you could relate. Now, bearing that in mind, go to verse 17. Hebrews 13, 17. says the following, Obey them. So the essential is to listen. The essential is to bring your life under the word of God that they preach. When you do that, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch for your souls as those who will give an account let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this will be unprofitable for you. Okay? You must obey to such a degree the word of the Lord that I teach you, lest if you disobey, I give an account of your life before God with grief and not with joy. Right? So please help me do it with joy. I don't want to be grieving on that day. I want to do it with with joy. Amen? So, uh, it's, it's absolutely essential. It's absolutely vital. Okay? And I shared with you a bunch of scriptures last week, which I don't want to rehearse, 
how that, for example, Paul said concerning the Macedonian church, when he wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, out of deep poverty they, they gave generously. Why? And he references the grace of God. He says, you know the grace of God on the Macedonian church. Out of extremely poor conditions, they gave generously, right? And he says this, for, firstly, they gave themselves to the Lord and to us. Many people have no problems being given to the Lord, but you have to be given to your leader. I say it again without contradiction. You have to be given to your leader. In, in the same manner as you are given to the Lord. Right? And we read another text of Scripture from Thessalonians, remember, where Paul says to the Thessalonians, he says, you became imitators of the Lord and of us. Right? The Lord and of us. Remember the bunch of scriptures we read from Gideon's example. What did Gideon say when he, took, when he attacked the, was it the Midianites? Or the, was it Midianites? He attacked the Midianites and he led 300 men. Remember? Army was whittled down from 32,000 to 300. And there's on three occasions, Gideon said to the people, imitate me and do likewise. Repeat it after me. Imitate me and do likewise. These things are not in the scriptures for nothing. Imitate me and do likewise. I think Paul, who knew the Old Testament very well, drew on that when he said to the Corinthians, copy me as I copy Christ. Okay? And remember when the victory was won, they said, the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. The sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. You need Gideon. Leaders are there designed to lead you into the fullness of Christ. They are there designed to lead you into the fullness of Christ himself. Amen. Now, uh, just quickly, I want to rehearse 1 Chronicles chapter 12, I think it is, if I can find it in my notes. 1 Chronicles 12, verses 38. 1 Chronicles 12, verse 38. In reference to this. David was hounded by Saul, remember? And King Saul, first king of Israel, viewed David as a threat. The anointing was on David's life to lead Israel. Right? In fact, when Saul died, I won't reference the text, but the people come to David at Hebron and they say this to him. When Saul was king, it was actually you, who led us out and led us in. In other words, he's the positional leader, he's king, but you were the one actively doing the work. You led us. He was king, but you led us in and you led us out. So there was, watch, a diminishing and a taking away from the Saul order and a strengthening of the Davidic order. David was becoming set in his authoritative role as a leading king over Israel. It was always God's will that that be so. But there was a rival king threatening that position. That would be the person of, of King Saul. So God had to diminish, decrease the house of Saul, and strengthen the house of, of David. And um, there's a lovely text in 2 Samuel. I won't read it, reference it, just to say it here. It says, the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker, but the house of David grew grew stronger and, and stronger. And so I believe it's symptomatic of this fact. There's an order of leadership that God, is, that God is judging and that God is removing from the fabric of his house. And there's a, a Davidic quality or order of leadership that God is raising up. It's a man after God's own heart like David was. When we say you need a leader, we're not trying to deify men or put them on a, on a pedestal, far be it from us, because that would be idolatry. But where leader functions in representation of the one who sent him, to receive him, you have to, to receive God, you have to receive the, the one who sent him. You know, I don't have time to demonstrate this, just quickly, let me hear in the spirit. Uh, John 1 says, for as many as re, 
received him, to them gave you the power to become the, the sons of God. And that is initial salvation. When you said uh, your repentance prayer initially, when you were translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love, when you were saved, you said a prayer, God changed you. You're no longer a child of the devil, you're now a child of, of God. He authorized you to become a son of God. What was the prerequisite according to that verse? It says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become. So what is prerequisite to become? Reception. You've got to receive to become. Everyone say receive to become. Right? So Jesus now would stand, he says, if you receive anyone that I send in my name, you do what? You receive me. There's more than one reception of Christ. There's the initial one when you received him, but you, you know what? He wants to progressively come to you in fullness. Right? I can prove this to you. I can go on and on. I'm going to get back to my focus here. Just quick, one quick proof is in Galatians 4, you know what God through, God through Paul said to the Galatian church? God said uh, through Paul, Paul said to them, he says, Galatians, when I came to you, you did not behold my infirmity in the flesh, but you did what? You received me. Everyone say, you received me. You received me as an angel of God, even as Christ himself. When, when Paul came to them, do you know what the mindset of these people were? We're not receiving Paul. This is the reception of Christ. Do you know when I speak to you now, you're not listening to Randolph. You're listening to Christ himself. And I want to, I want to so I, I won't have time to give other examples, but the principle is true. Every reception of Christ to you, when he comes, represent in the ones he has sent to you. You are receiving him. When those persons come to you, they come to you with his word. How do you receive him? By receiving his, his word. Okay? You receive him by receiving his word. And that word is designed to mature the sonship identity that he's already installed in you to maturity. Not so. Amen. Galatians 1, I think it's, gee, 1.15 or so. With that scripture where he says, before I was born, it was his pleasure to reveal. Yes, it's here. Verse 15. But God set me, but God, when God who set me apart even from my mother's womb, and he called me through his, how are you called? Everyone say through grace. Now, when did this calling happen? Paul here is saying, God who set me apart from my mother's womb. But we know according to uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 that this actually happened way before. This was in eternity past. Tell your neighbor you are predestined. You're not a fluke. Tell someone you're not a fluke. Right? <laughs> you're not a perchance. God planned you even before he made the world. Do you know that? Before, before God made the earth, the heavens, flung the stars in space. Do you know that? God set you in spirit form in his being as spirit. You are ancient. Tell your neighbor, you are ancient. You are you're older than you think. Your, your existence did not start from your birthday. Eh? Your, your existence did not start from your birthday. Get a revelation of this. Tell your neighbor, your existence did not start from your birthday. You are in God. The Bible clearly teaches us. You are in Him. You are in Him from before time began. Do you know that the very worlds were created because of you? What initiated the whole creative process? It's because you existed in Him. And the Bible says, uh, Jeremiah says, before I was conceived... Paul here references, obviously he's talking about his apostolic call here, right? As an apostle. But Jeremiah says, before I was conceived in my mother's womb, you knew me. And the word know means to be intimately, experientially involved with. God just didn't know about you. God knew you before you were born. Right? I'm not a fluke. 
Boise Barnwell and Sheila Barnwell, my parents, when they got together and his sperm hit my mom's egg and boom, Barnwell Randolph started to manifest. Nine months in Sheila B. We call her Sheila B. Nine months in Sheila B's womb. Boom, I came out after nine months. Grew up in Wentworth, Durban, South Africa. All of that's not a fluke. Even your residence is ordained by God. I'm a South African by God's design. I'm a Wentworth brew by, 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 by God's design. You know what? Do you know what? All of life's experiences are absolutely necessary to make you what God has designed you to be. Don't, don't despise your past or despise your experience. If you are properly minded, God will take everything that has transpired in your life up to this point. Get your act together. God is saying, I'm able to work all things after the counsel of my own will. Lovely verse in Colossians. I work all things in after the counsel of my own will. And all things come together to make you the person that God has called you to be. But I love the next verse here. So Paul's saying, let me just read this. But when God had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased. Was pleased to do what? What's the focus? He was pleased to reveal his son in me. I want to say this. The son in you is already in you in fullness. The son of God in you is already in you in fullness. But there's a process of revealing. Everyone say reveal. And this process, if you examine this in the Greek, it's a progressive um, thing where God progressively through time will bring the fullness of that dimension in you. You grow up into him. Uh, the Bible says, I think in Ephesians 4, it says that we might grow up into him in all things. Everyone say we must grow up into him. You know, it's like a dual process. He's being revealed in me. I am growing up into him. I'm already complete in him. Bible teaches that we are complete in, in him. I wish I could get into this teaching. I'm actually going ahead of myself. A special session I got on grace versus works. I'll show you God has called us to work by grace and not works. But it's born out of our understanding that the Son is already in me in fullness. But through constant engagement and exposure to the Word of God, it's like an onion. God is peeling every layer of the flesh off of me progressively. You know, so that the kernel, the essence of me, Christ in me, the hope of glory, will be the only thing left. What did John say? John 3.30. Quickly. What did John, 3, John say? He said, I must, or he must, increase and I must. Uh, people must quote this verse very often. Most people I hear, even songs written about this, they always say, he must, I must decrease and he must increase. No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, he must increase. We must get the order right. His increase will decrease me, in other words. What is the focus? He must increase. I don't labor for this. I, I've come into risk, guys. I don't labor to decrease the flesh components in me. I just focus on the increase of Christ in me. And I've taught you this before. I don't have to overcome certain hurdles in the flesh. My, the carnal aspect of my nature will not be something major, a mountain for me to conquer, where he who is in me is greater than he who that's in the, the world. If I can harness, please listen with revelation. If I can harness the power of the resident Christ in me, being revealed in me progressively through time, the more that dynamic grows, the less of me, the flesh, the carnal side is seen. Right? So you don't have to strive to overcome certain things. I taught you this in the past. Certain things you can outgrow, right? Outgrow certain tendencies, outgrow certain habits, outgrow certain proclivities. Some things you don't have to strive to overcome, simply outgrow. Tell your neighbor, don't overcome, outgrow. You see, some of you are striving to overcome because you are battling with certain things because he is not increasing. I guarantee you, you focus on the increase of Christ in you. You'll be amazed at how certain things will drop off you. Things, are, things that you pulled you before. Suddenly you say, wow, I've overcome. Overcoming is not really overcoming. Overcoming is allowing him to be God in you. 
the Christ rises in you, I want to encourage you, you will see amazing, amazing results. Amen? Everyone say rest. I've got a whole new series on rest, grace and rest. I'm more rested now than ever before. The, the enemy is not happy. The enemy is not happy. Um, remember what, what Sean's, how Sean's word started off to us. Started off with a warning. Started off with a warning. I know we have shifted gear. I know that definitively in the spirit. I know that we have elevated. But I want to encourage you that do not, Paul says we are not ignorant of the wiles of the enemy or the subtleties of the enemy. Do you know what, who was it king, the king that did faithful deeds? Hezekiah? The Bible says of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah did faithful deeds unto the Lord. And the very next verse, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against him. You see, nothing wrong with him. He's serving the Lord perfectly, doing faithful deeds, and suddenly the enemy is activated because of his faithfulness. Sometimes your faithfulness activates the enemy. Amen? So I want to encourage you, be aware in the season. Amen? Be aware that because you have made the decision to serve God properly, because you have chosen to serve God with a new degree of faithfulness and fervor, etc., be aware that the enemy will come against you. Okay? The enemy will come against you. If not now, then another season. Remember after Jesus' fast, the Bible says, and he was unhungered, and angels were sent to strengthen him. Right? And he started eating food. Then the Bible says this clearly. And Satan left him for a more convenient season. Sometimes the enemy pulls back. You realize, okay, yeah, back off a bit. But I'm, I'm, I'm backing off to re-strategize. I'll come back to you, at, the Bible says, at a more opportune time. Right? So we're not ignorant of the wiles of the devil. You know, church, God, we, are, we have such a rich heritage. We have such a rich tradition in the past, and we have such a powerful future to look forward to. Come on, do you believe that? Amen. I'm saying this not out of my own conviction. I'm saying this coming from a corporate context that I know has, has hugely downloaded significant, substantial grace to us. I'm now more confident that we will be successful in anything we put our hands to. And that's not a boast. It's not, I'm not being arrogant. Please hear my heart. All I'm saying is I'm so confident that the grace of God given to us, is that grace is going to be the reason for our success. God, taught me, God spoke to me very clearly. It's not your own sufficiency. It's my grace. And I, I'm dying to share that word. It'll be in the next two or three weeks about how we need to come out of works and enter fully into grace. That God gets the glory and no man. God must get the glory and no man. It'll be all about Him because of Him as a result of Him. But it requires our human cooperation. Amen. Who are we when, when it all goes well? You know what uh, the, the servants in Luke says? When you have done the will of God and you have done well, just say, who are we? We are simply unworthy servants. When all goes well, clearly the verse in Luke says, who are we? We're simply unworthy servants. So we're not uh, uh, making ourselves proud beyond, um, beyond our measure. So let's get back to First Chronicles. Sorry, we were a bit of a detour there, but I think it was the Lord. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Amen. First Chronicles 12 and verse 38. Remind your neighbor again, you need leadership. The proud man thinks, I don't need a man. I don't need someone to guide me, to lead me. Do you know, you know, when I think about the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know that God could have sent him as a 33-year-old man to the earth? Do you know that could have happened? Uh, God could have sent him down already 33 and a half years old. Boom. Out of the sky. Beam down, Scotty. Zoop. On Golgotha. Straight away, Nochal. Go straight to the hill. Die there. Don't go to the processes of, of submitting to a man. Your father, Joseph. Your mother, Mary. Don't go to the processes of respecting and submitting to the ministry of John the Baptist. And fulfilling all righteousness. Submission to another Everyone say submission to another. Submission to another. Bowing to leadership principles in your life. The Son of God became the Son of Man to teach all sons of men how to live like sons of God. Right? He's, he's a, as, as Matthew correctly says, he's a template, he's a pattern, he's a model. 
if he, God, who is supreme God, sovereign God, found it necessary to demonstrate to all of humanity that this is the way men must be. You need someone in your life to speak, to guide. Uh, to, 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 uh, the Bible says of Jesus, he subjected himself, subjugated himself to Mary and Joseph. Remember he was 12 years old? Wanted to do his own thing. They put his life in order. His response is, not do you think, do you not think who I am? I am the eternal Logos. Before you were, before you were, I am. Didn't say that. He said, no, no, no. The Bible says he subjected himself to them for 18 long years. Everyone say he's the pattern. Now I want to submit to you. If the pattern son had to submit to leadership in his life, so do all sons of men. So do all sons of men. We're not a leaderless, undisciplined, unbridled people. We are, we are persons of great order. Now I want to show you this from David's example quickly. You know, I will never get to what I want to say today. This is going to take too long to explain. Verse 38. All these being men of war who could draw up in battle formation. Everyone say battle formation. So there was rank. Say rank. There was battle formation, came to Hebron. The word Hebron, we'll do a series in this year probably on principle of Hebron. The word Hebron means covenant, joining, alliance. It includes love. Uh, David, David ruled as a king for 40 and a half years. But for seven and a half of those 40 and a half years, he ruled from a place called Hebron. It was a hill country where... The tribe that he was from, the tribe of Judah, first came to recognize him as king and to coronate him as king. David had three coronations, remember? Three anointings in reference to kingship. The first one was a boy, I think he was about 17 years old, when the prophet Samuel came to his house, and this was amongst brothers. Everyone say amongst brothers. Remember, and uh, even Samuel thought, maybe Eleazar, so tall, the firstborn, surely this one is king. And the Lord said to the prophet, no, I haven't chosen this one. The next one passed by. Even the prophet Samuel said, surely this one. And about three or four of them passed, and Samuel was wrong each time. Samuel wanted to just anoint any one of Jesse's sons. You know why? All of Jesse's sons were king material. That's why he was so, hey, Jesse produces kings in the earth. And God said to Samuel, don't look at the outward, look at the inward. I don't judge men externally. I judge men by the content of their heart. And he says, okay, there's, a, there's this eighth son of mine. He's out there in the field looking after sheep. The prophet says, bring him. And when Samuel saw him, the Lord witnessed with Samuel, this is the next king of Israel. And the Bible says, in the, I like what the scripture says, in the midst of his brothers, the prophet anoints him as king. There was brotherly recognition in a domestic household of the kingly function of David. Then... I mean, he, uh, he would kill Goliath ultimately, remember? He's, he's, he's thrust into, calls, in, into Saul's kingly courts. He's now uh, a servant or minister to the king, right? And he has to duck javelins. The king is so jealous of him because when he goes to war, there's great success when David goes to war. And all the ladies are saying, Saul killed thousands, but David kills tens of thousands, right? You must be careful of a spirit of jealousy and envy. To, to, to enter your heart. Dr. Siggy spoke about this, right? And so um, he, he says from that, he eyed David. King James says he eyed him. In other words, he wanted to kill David because now David's a threat to his monarchy, to his kingship. And whenever David would function in his court playing music for him, uh, he would take a javelin out and try to pin David to the wall. And David just uh, chup, 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 chup. <laughs> Matrix got the idea from the scripture, I'm telling you. <laughs> David was ish, ish, ish. David's first ministry was a javelin ducking ministry. <laughs> Threatened by, I mean, he was a threat to a reigning monarch. So he ran away, and Paul, Saul would pursue him for the next 13 or more years. He would just hounding, David would go. And there was a band of men that came around David, 400 of them, when he was in the stronghold of Adullam. Right? The cave of Adullam. And the Bible says of these men, they were in debt, they were distressed, and they were discontented. Three Ds. Distress, debt, discontented. 
They lived in D section. Okay? <laughs> Would like a church like this? The whole group is in debt. The whole group is distressed. The whole group is unhappy. But you know what these men did? They recognized, hey, the mantle is moving away from King Saul too. David, and even though David's not the recognized king, we are perceptive enough to recognize that God has chosen him. And although we don't have much to offer, I mean, look at us, D section, right? D is our favorite letter in the alphabet, these guys are saying. Everything is about us is D, 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 right? But we will come to David. The Bible says they gathered to him at the, at the stronghold or the cave of Adullam. And David, they would, they would literally, listen carefully, they followed David before David was officially recognized as king of all of Israel. Many people wait for a leader to be completely successful before they follow him. But it takes discernment to follow a man of God in the, in the process of his own evolution and development. Right? In the process of his own evolution and development. Okay? And so you must, when I say dwell near to your leader, you dwell near through thick and through thin. Remember we were talking about dwelling near. Everyone say dwell near. You dwell near through thick and through thin. Paul said to Timothy, his son, he said, Timothy, do not be afraid or ashamed of my chains. He writes in 2 Timothy. Uh, Timothy had a tendency to shy off. Remember when Jesus was arrested, what did Peter do? Peter said, I don't know the man. He fluked. He cussed. He said some foreign language. Right? He said, no, I don't know him. And the Bible says, and Peter followed where? Afar off. Now, I'm speaking about being intimate with your leader, coming close. But yes, Peter, in the heat of the battle and the trial of his leader, he steps back. A good son never steps back when his father is going through some of the worst trials and tests of his own leadership and his own life. Sonship stays the course, not so? Sonship stays the course, right? And so this, I'm talking about these men. And you know what the Bible says? I mean, they followed David even while Saul was hounding him. Does that not put their lives at risk also? And I remember a group of them even said once, twice. They said, oh, check in the adjacent cave there. There's Saul and his men, and they're all sleeping. All his men said, see how the Lord God has given you your enemy into your hands today. Let us sneak up and go kill him. David said no. David almost submitted that, but his heart of honor for previous leadership, right? He said, no, we, no one touches the Lord's anointed. And he taught all his 400 that principle. He was a man of great honor in reference to God-established leadership. Even though he's demonized, even though he's backslidden, even though he doesn't recognize what God is doing in me, I will still honor him. Right? That's why the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. He's a man after God's own heart. Right? And you know when, when Saul died? What happened when Saul died? What did David do? Did all say, hallelujah! Woohoo! My enemy, my greatest detractor from my destiny, has been removed from my life. Did he rejoice? Right? Did he say that the biggest obstacle in the way of my destiny has been snuffed off from my path? Did, was he happy? No. The Bible says he mourned and he wept. And he wrote a song called the Song of the Bow. And in the song, he hails and praises Saul and Jonathan for all of their great contributions to Israel. And you know what? Nochal? He, he commanded that the song be taught throughout all Judah. Now, you know what the impact a song has, right? How many of you remember songs you were taught in your childhood? Right? You just hear one, one word and the song comes. Okay? One, one, one guy uh, was joking. You know, uh, the aliens. He came to me and he said, Pastor Randolph, it's so funny how we don't talk anymore. <laughs> he was quick in my mind. It's so funny. How we don't talk anymore. One statement, and guess what? Boom, a song. People never forget songs. That's why biblical songs are very important. When they are crafted after good doctrine, the doctrine is embedded in the mind containing the song. Why did David write a song? He was scarring the minds of a whole tribe. He said, you all adopt my view 
in reference to how you should honor previous leadership. I want to encourage every, anyone here, never ever speak disparagingly or negatively against men of God. Never. You're doing yourself the greatest disservice. You're inviting curses and obstacles in your life. You always honor. I, will all, I always say you'd rather go and err on the side of over-honoring than to enter into dishonor and suffer curse. Okay? So David does all of that. And you know what? He comes to this place, Hebron. Everyone say Hebron. Hebron. Right? And the Bible says, I won't have time to teach the fullness of Hebron here, but he lives in Hebron for seven and a half years. Seven is what? Perfection. Seven and a half? Going beyond perfection. What is Hebron? Relationships, covenant, love, fellowship, joining. What is David demonstrating? I will go beyond, I will go beyond perfection in how I view every one of you. You're my brothers. I love you. We are family. David established family first at Hebron. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says it was mainly the, the tribe that he was from. Which tribe was David from? Come on. Judah. There were 12 tribes in Israel. The tribe that he was from was Judah. They were the first to recognize him as king. Where? At Hebron. Because he forged powerful relationships. Everyone say relationships. He forged powerful relationships at, at Hebron, and he perfects relationships, goes beyond per, rela, per, perfection of relationships, living there for seven and a half years. Now, when Saul died, David asked, now I need to go up, ask the Lord, and the Lord gives him permission, I need to go up to where? To Zion. Zion is Jerusalem. Where was David's throne set for the next 33 years of his life? Where from which city would he rule from? Come on, talk to me. Jerusalem or what we know as Zion. David's rule would always be from Zion. And Zion is a fortress. It's a place of governmental strength. It's a place of rulership and of overcoming. Everyone say Zion. But you can't rule for 33 years in Zion until you've learned to perfect relationships for seven and a half years in Hebron. Right? You, you, you think with me. Open your eyes and receive this revelation. Why is Randall so strong on family? Why are we so strong on relationships? Why have I encouraged you? Be hospitable one to another. Get to know the brotherhood. Why are we building family? Everyone say family. Why do I encourage you? Don't see anyone less than the other when you come and meet together. Why must we esteem everybody better than ourselves? Why must we love without uh, a contradiction or, or, or without... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Differentiation. Okay? Not marginalizing against. We love equally. Okay? Why is that? I am preparing you to rule. Everyone say we are pre preparation to rule. Hallelujah. You know, John Ellis said something. He said his church is not a big church by, by standards of mega church status. Small group but they're moving nations globally. And he made the statement, a small church can punch above its weight. It's a boxing term where a lightweight is able to punch and take a heavyweight down. He punches above his, his body weight. He's able to do greater battles. Same is true in the spirit. I declare over this house, over you and I, that this church too does punch above its weight. But our military strength is going to be determined by our family constitution. If we can develop family ethos, we're developing military power. Remember, how did, remember there were four kings against Abraham in Genesis 14. Four kings came up, well, not against Abraham. These were four Persian uh, kingdoms, four Persian empires that literally dominated the whole of the then known world. They imposed taxes upon, you read the whole of Genesis 14, they imposed taxes upon all regions for 12 years. A taxation, a levy system. Every king in every other city had to pay Chedaloma tax. It was a means of impoverishing economically the entire then known world. In the 13th year, they rebelled. They said, after 12 years, in this 13th year, enough is enough. No more. You know, he got angry, right? He said, I'm going to take revenge. The Bible says he attacked all the cities, taking their people and their goods, including Sodom and Gomorrah. There were only two cities untouched. Only two. 
The whole region, listen, it was Zion and Hebron. Who was in Zion? Melchizedek was operating in Zion at that stage. He, Melchizedek is a fatherly representation. Everyone say father. People say, who was Abraham's father if we all needed a father? Well, he was submitted to Melchizedek. Because the Bible says he paid, he paid tithes to Melchizedek. And the Bible says the lesser honored the, the greater. Even the patriarch, Abraham, needed someone to speak into his life. And where was Abraham residing? In Hebron. Two cities occupied by a father and a son were the only two cities untouched by an economic uh, attack, a satanic economic attack on the then known world. Two places were reserved. By father, I, I want to submit to you. I say these things over and over again. And I see them patterns in the scripture. Dark times are coming economically. Telling you, you, you have not seen economic lack or crisis yet in the world. It's coming. Your immunity is going to be dependent upon in which city you're living. You can be living in the city of Durban, but you are really living in the city of the living God in Durban. That's the church of the living God. The church will experience protection. But I dare say, not just anybody in the church. It's those that were locked into a principle called father and son that provides immunity. I've got my point. I keep drifting. Oh, yes. Listen. Listen carefully. <laughs> so, Lot is taken captive. Remember Abraham's nephew. Where was he staying? In Sodom. All the people, all the goods taken captive. I mean, when you think of four, four Persian empires... Persian kings don't play. You don't mess with these guys. Who's seen the 300? <laughs> Remember in the start of the movie how that king came to, was it Leonidas? Remember arrogantly? They just ride into the city. Surrender. <laughs> and you, know, and you saw how they depict them. They, they depict the Persians very well in that movie. Just the arrogance. You know, we yeah, we take over, we rule, we dominate. I just love that scene in the movie when Leonidas says, bah! So, I mean, I just love that scene. I pictured that as the church. The 300, the principle of 300 is Gideon's account. That movie, I think, is at biblical base. Gideon led 300 men against a Midian attack. And what does 300 represent? What's the symbol of 300? Oneness. Everyone say oneness. Notice how they depict that in the movie, how they, how they move. We're tight. We're a group. You see, it doesn't matter how big you are. If you're properly formed. You can take on kingdoms. So what does Abraham do? His his nephew Lot is is taken captive by Chedorlaomer and the three other Persian kings. The Bible says, no problem. Abraham had three sets of relationships. Everyone say three relationships. He had a father, Melchizedek, right? He had sons, 318. 318 men, the Bible says, born in his house. Then next to him here, he had three brothers, Ana, Eskol, and Mamre, three brews. And the Bible says about these three brews, they were partakers of the covenant with Abram. Literally, these three significant men in the world at that stage, also living in Hebron, recognized that in Abram something special. We're going to link with you. You're not our father in Christ, but we're almost on the same plane as you, but we want to partake in your covenant. Right? You know, Pastor Thamo mentioned this at the school. He said every person needs three relationships in their lives. You need a father that can speak to you. You need someone below you you can pour yourself into as a son. And you need brothers of equal stature, more or less to you, that can walk alongside you. When you have a threefold cord, it's not easily broken. So who wants to bet that Adrian's going to win this battle? Who wants to bet? Come on, how much money you got? If you were to put the money down, what hope does a man with 318 and three friends have against an alliance of four major Persian empires? Who's going to win? I don't know what the Bible says. And Abraham went and he slaughtered Chedorlaomer. Took his head off. He was the main king leading that alliance. The victory was won. Was, talk to me, was Abraham militarily strong? Yes or no? No, not by natural means. Was he 
familial strong. Was he strong in the family ethos? Bible says sons or servants born in his house. Was he strong relationally? Yes. He got a Melchizedek. He got brothers. He got sons. When you have those three things, there's no kingdom that can come up against you that you will not be able to take. No kingdom. There's no kingdom. I want to submit to you guys, we're going to do great things for God. But you know what? Don't think then and say, let me just rephrase that. God will do more in your life when you're part of a family than if you stand apart from the family, if you stand away from the family. I want everyone to plug in. Everyone say plug in. To plug in. I want you all to plug I prophesy over you. You will experience personal successes. Bernard, you're going to be, we're thinking about you. Your name came up last week. You'll be, you, I'm going to prophesy over you. You're going to be a significant man in the spirit. Just watch. With Teresa and your family. And, and God has put you in this family to raise you up into the destiny that God has in store for you. When a man finds himself as part of a family, when a man finds himself as part of a family, his, his, his potential level of success suddenly accentuates. If he knows how to... You see, you can either live by your own strength or you can harness corporate strength. Everyone say corporate strength. And this is powerful. When I think of Pastor Thomas' household, it now spans the globe. It's, it's, it's like literally such a powerful... I can't explain to you, I say this with uh, emotion in my heart, we have such a powerful global family. There's no place in the world that any of you here need to travel anywhere that you will not have someone on the ground. Right? That's a great privilege. Great privilege. We're part of an awesome, awesome family. So that, that, that story illustrates that military might is dependent upon family strength. You know, I won't have time to, I really want to speak to you about the house of grace and the environment of grace that harnesses or gives you leverage to execute God's will successfully. But I'll talk maybe on Wednesday evening. Come on, you're coming back on Wednesday night, right? I want to cement this thought. Listen carefully. So, how long again, quickly, how long does David live in Hebron? How long did he rule at Zion? 33, right? 33. So, it's, it's, let me read this text again. All these being men of war. This is still not at Zion. This is still at? He hasn't, he hasn't graduated yet, right? He's still doing this. And the men come to him. Watch. All these, watch, being men of war who could draw up in what? In battle formation. Other version says they could keep rank. The new protocol, the new order, the new structure. And the Bible says they came to Hebron with a what? Come on, say come with a perfect heart. And they said to make David what? King. Now, you can argue, do men make him king? Think 17 years old he was when Samuel came to his house. And Samuel, a horn of oil. Remember? Remember, Saul was anointed with a vial of oil. A flask. A human-made flask. David was anointed with a horn of oil. Blood had to be shed from an animal's horn. Oil. So his anointing was very costly more than King Saul. Not so? Right? So he was an already anointed king. But you know, every anointing, while it's done, so you could argue, but Samuel did this. Although Samuel did it, it took a whole lot of other men to recognize it, come around it, and ensure that it, it flows and succeeds. Look at it. It says, what, is, what does it say? To make David what? To make David king over all Israel. And the rest of Israel were of what? One mind. To make David king. The initial was from the tribe of Judah. You get the three phases, right? First anointing house of Jesse. Who was the witnesses? Brothers. Second anointing as king in Hebron by the tribe of Judah. Brothers from the tribe, same tribe of his witnesses. Now, before they go up to Zion, just before this at Hebron, all Israel comes to make him king. With perfect hearts, one heart, one mind, to recognize what God is doing in a man. Let me say this to you. David does not become a mighty man until men recognize the work of God in him. I'm saying this to all of us in this house. Do you know 
my effectiveness is largely limited to your perception of me. I'm talking about in reference to issues of God's will that pertain to this house. Do you know what Paul said to the Corinthians? He says, he says I will be enlarged in my sphere when your faith grows. He's saying, enlarge me, Corinthians. I be enlarged, and I will even preach in regions beyond you when your faith grows. Come on, tell you never grow your faith. What we are not teaching is that you must worship a man. Come on, who is bent on purpose? Say purpose. We are saying purpose. Let me just say, I love you all. I'm talking very fast because of time. Just, I love you all, right? Amen. <laughs> tell your neighbor, he loves us. Okay. I really do. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. really love you. And I know we'll work well together as we forge ahead in the purposes of the Lord. All I'm saying to you, the flow of impartation, which I'll demonstrate on Wednesday, maybe next week, Sunday. The flow of impartation from God through me to you is going to depend largely on your perception or recognition of what God does in and through fatherly leadership. And then I'll show you next week how the flow of grace will happen laterally in the house as well. Look at just two more verses quickly. I'll take five minutes because of time. Um, verse 17 of the same chapter and verse 18. I've mentioned this before, but I just want to re-echo it, right? David went out to meet them. Now, they're still coming to him, right? Oh, by the way, uh, if you read the whole chapter, which you must do today, there was defection from the house of Saul to the house of David. I mean, Saul is dead, but there were people loyal to him. And there was a crossing over from a Saul order to a Davidic David order. And you know what it's like when a king dies and a new king takes over? You know what the first, usually the first order of business for the new king is to do what? is to kill every remaining child of the previous king and all his close associates and servants, lest the hearts of the men are divided in their loyalties. So David is very cautious when the guys cross over. And he says this to them. David went out to meet them, and he said to them, If you come peacefully to me and to help me, everyone say to help me, my heart will be united or be at one with you. But if you come to betray me to my adversaries, since there's no wrong in my hands, may God of our fathers look on it and decide. God is, David saying, if you come here with wrong motives, I take my hands off it, God will deal with you. But if you come with a peaceful and you've come to help me, David commits, says, my heart, it will say my heart, my heart will be locked in with you. We will become so one. Remember later on, what did we read? They came with one heart and one mind to make David king right and look at the next verse the spirit of god came upon amasai who was chief of the 30 the 30 were like the mightiest men in the group you read of david and the 30 right and this guy was i mean these guys did exploits you thought david was good these guys make david's greatest exploits look like a picnic in the park right i don't want to go through that now so he was the leader of the group Chief of the 30, he said, his spokesperson for these, these are like the SWAT team in the whole of David's army. Special forces, the most highly skilled, highly trained, right? And the leader says, David, we are yours. What should that ring in your, in your heart? What scriptures are you thinking about when I say to you, the men of David, a Maasai, the spokesperson, says to David, we are yours. What did Paul say about the Macedonians? They gave themselves to the Lord and they gave themselves to us. Tell you never be given to your leader. He says, we are yours, David. You know, David was a mighty man, but David's success was largely built around the troops around him. We are yours, O David, and we are with you, son of Jesse. Now, they reference David as being a good son to our father. They say, we're not just here. We can see you are Jesse's son. You know what Jesse means? I prevail and one who stands out. Right? You're the son of Jesse. Right? And what does he say to him? What does Amasai say to David? Peace. Peace to you and peace to him who helps you. Indeed, your God helps you. Then David received them, and he made them captains of the band. He made them leaders in his army. Right? 
So, I don't know, so much, so many principles here, but time is against us. He does not just say peace, peace to you, David. Messiah is saying peace to everyone else here. The whole group, these are the elite forces speaking. There's skilled men throughout the army. He's saying to David, we are with you, we are yours. Peace to you, but peace to everybody else here that has come to help you. They were committed to David's peace as the leader, but they were committed to each other's peace. That's a powerful family. That's a powerful family. Okay? And now, one last scripture. Proverbs 30, 29, quickly. Dr. Segi dropped this into our spirit. And I have to close with this. At the, there are three things which are stately in their march. Everyone say stately. Just put the new King James or the King James. There are three things which are majestic. I like this. In pace. Stately in march or majestic in pace. Everyone say majestic. Now, what, what, are your, what, what images conjure up in your mind when you think of majesty? If someone says to you, wow, that was majestic. King, authority, regality, nobility. Right? Stately. The sovereignty of a person functioning. What are the three things? Four which are stately in their walk, yes. A lion which is mighty amongst the beasts. I mean, isn't a lion majestic when you see it? Rawr. You get like awestruck. Wow. Everyone say wow. wow. Or ow. <laughs> Depending on <laughs> how close you are. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? A lion mighty amongst the beasts and does not turn away from any. How fearless a lion is. He just stands his ground. This is my territory. What are you doing here? Right? Next. A greyhound. A male goat also. And what's the fourth? A king whose troops are with him. Everyone say king whose troops are with him. This is such a powerful depiction of oneness. Our house, I declare to you prophetically, and your lives personally, is about to enter a majestic status. Character of majesty has come upon us. I believe it definitively in the realm of spirit. I don't think that our conference with Chum Blicknout about kingship was coincidental to prepare us for this. Amen? There's a, ma a magisterial anointing upon us. But there are a king whose troops are with him as stately in their march. March implies they are focused on purpose. Yeah? They are focused on on purpose. And I want to encourage you all. God has called us to do great things. And there's personal blessing and breakthrough coming to each of you as family, as individuals and as family members when you lock into this dimension. If you seek God's kingdom first, all your needs will be met. Amen? Seek God's kingdom first, all your needs will be met. And I want to encourage us all. We are marching together. Tell your neighbor we are marching together. Let me ask you a question. Are you with me? <laughs> Are you with the Lord? Lest you think, Randolph is drawing attention to himself. I like what these men say of David. We are with you, O David. You son of Jesse, you son of Thamonaidu, we are with you, right? We are with you. For we see what? We see your God is helping you. It's not just a, we've studied you. When Saul was king, we've studied you. You were the one who led us out and, and in. This is not an off-the-cuff uh, instinctive commitment to something. No, we've tracked you. You have a legacy. You have proof. Not an overnight decision. You have credibility. You have a legacy. Right? We've tracked you. And now we commit to the, to the process ahead of you. That's the burden I'm feeling today. Come on. Amen. Are you committing to the process ahead of us? Yes. Amen? Yes. We're doubling the amount of chairs here next week. We're having a whole crew here outside on the side. Uh, when, when, when Lucy gave us the word about God's going to give a sudden increase. How long ago was Lucy here, by the way? Anybody remember? I can't remember now. Mid-last year. Remember what she said? Yeah. Sudden increase? Yeah. And we literally had half the chairs here, and she said, put out these chairs. Yeah. Now, if all the families that are away are here today, I'm glad they're actually not here because we won't have space given the chairs here. <laughs> Maybe it's a God thing. Right? And I'm so glad that we have many visitors here. Right? I want to declare to every visitor, we love you with the love of the Lord. We really do. 
care for you from our hearts. And, and if you feel this is the place for you to come, to plug into the family, you are most welcome. We welcome you with open hearts. My heart is with you, be united with you. I promise you there's great blessing in store for you for this. And we don't have any ulterior motive. Our only motive is to do God's will. That's, our only desire is to do God's will. All we are doing, we're preparing the structure in and through which great purposes of God are going to be to, uh, facilitated through. Amen? His purposes work through a structure. God is, God is preparing the, the family structure. Amen? I, you know, when, when I see these things, um, I almost said to my father in the Lord yesterday, I said bye-bye to him. But I knew that 110 people are in line to say bye-bye. It was a quick one and I'm gone. I nearly say, I am yours. As I am given to the Lord himself, I am given to you. Biblical. I'm not given to you as a man. I see purpose, see the plan of God, put my shoulder behind it, and we're going to push, plow. Yes, that's the word that came to. We're going to plow, and we're going to push through the purposes of God globally. Amen? Globally. And you know what? An anointing from God through David came upon all these men. Suddenly, the effectiveness all elevated. Everyone do this, come on. I guarantee you, there's going to be this in your life. There's going to be this in your life. A graduation, elevation, as we plug into this process. Amen. Would you lift your hands in prayer? Everyone, lift your hands in prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you. Amen. Come on, everyone, don't be left out. Focus. Don't be distracted. Let's all focus. Amen. Let's be intentional. Father, I pray for all of us. I ask that an anointing for oneness, one heart, and one mind will come upon us all. I pray the eyes of our understanding will be open to the power of the revelation of the family of God, fulfilling the purposes of the Lord in the earth. How glorious and majestic is a king when his troops are with him. I ask for that anointing to be upon us all even now. We leave aside our personal agendas and we recognize there's purpose, great purpose you have attendant with this family. God, we, we lock in, we submit to that. We submit to you, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. We thank you, we love you with all of our hearts. You are the supreme one. You deserve honor, glory, power, and majesty. No man will glory in your presence. But you have chosen to share glory with men as your word declares. You said your glory you will give to another, but we are not another. We are your sons. And you said, Lord Jesus, in the garden that the glory you have, uh, you have enjoyed with the Father, you have given to those who were your own. We are so grateful. We come into this estate. And Father, I pray that for every single one of us, even now, no matter what the needs are personally, I pray resolution to every difficulty in everybody's life. Now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, where there are deficiencies, I pray fullness. Where there are gaps, I pray you fill the gaps. Where, where there are problems that need uh, resolve and resolution, I pray, God, that be resolved this instant as I pray in the name of Jesus. Where there's a lack, I pray you be the provider. Where there's absence of peace and uh, where there's anxiety, I speak peace to every mind. I say be calm, be rested in the realm of the Spirit. I pray the invasion of, of the presence, the power of the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be upon us all now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.